quick, in here. What was that thing? It's still at the bottom of the stairs. Shut the door then. Pull the bolts across. Well, you do the top, I'll do the bottom. Right. I'll call Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith, we need you. Mr. Smith, we need you. Let me try. Mr. Smith, we need you. Mr. Smith, we need you. Maybe we could all do it together. Mr. Mr. Smith, Smith, we we need need you. It looks like you're trying to summon an extraterrestrial supercomputer, voiced by the posh chap off of Armstrong and Miller. Would you like some help? Oh, bloody paperclip. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of season 3 of The Oodcast. With me today I have the sexy and yet temperate Chris Sigma. Hello. The smiley and geniotic, that's that's another word for genius, like Chris Alpha. Or idiotic genius. Hello. Yes, that's that too. <laughs> and balancing out the team for the girls' side, I have Nicola Simpson. Hello. That's my mother. Oh, and there's me, Laura. Hello, everybody. Now, for this week, we decided we'd do something slightly different. We were given probably quite rightly in my case, a bit of a dressing down for our belittling of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh, hold on, hold on, hour. For my belittling of the Sarah Jane Adventures. So we thought we'd better redress the balance a bit and offer the same kind of critical analysis and sparkling um, dissection. Repartee? Yeah, repartee, repartee, dissection, um, yes, commentary of a Sarah Jane episode as we do of a normal Who episode. But before we talk about the double-parter Death of the Doctor, here's an old favourite, the Oodcast News. Oodcast News. Hello and welcome to the Oodcast News. Rumours that Catherine Jenkins is to sing during this year's Christmas special seem to be confirmed when a job lot of female armour, blonde plaited wigs and Viking helmets were spotted being unloaded near the studios in Cardiff this week. Budgetary cutbacks at the BBC mean that all future monster incarnations will be spray-painted versions of older creatures. The Grask will become the Grosk, the Slavine becomes the Blatherine and look out for the warlike yellow Blurker. BBC in crisis as Russell T Davis runs out of Smith and Jones jokes. Simon Pegg has finally revealed that the nasty sweaty blob on the ceiling in series one's The Long Game was played by Chris Moyles. Following the reveal of Unit Secret Snowden Rocket Base, the National Trust have launched a campaign protesting the wanton defacing of areas of outstanding natural beauty, titled Silos Will Fall. And finally, after the events of The Empty Earth, where all of humanity was wiped from the face of the planet, the television programme Merlin reported a very slight fall in audience figures. Broadcast News.
Well, here we are again. We get to do a review, which is very exciting. And even more exciting, we have Nicola, Laura's mum here, who watched the episode. And um, I just thought it'd be quite nice uh, to go to you first, Nicola, and say what you thought of the episode. Well, as a Sarah Jane virgin... Can we say that? We can, we've, can we've we said it. That? We've said it. Yeah, 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 we're getting that. nods, yeah. Yeah, I, do, I did find it. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, actually, the two-parter. I think I was. Mo- I mostly enjoyed um, when the Doctor was around, though. Well, watching it with you, what, what I became painfully aware of was the fact that it was an episode for fans. There was a huge amount of nostalgia in it and a lot of stuff that called back to the classic yeah, series. Yeah, that's right. And I became slightly uncomfortable about whether it was enjoyable for someone who didn't wasn't really inured in sort of who lore in that way. Was it still enjoyable just as a story in its own right? Yeah, I thought it was a good story in its own right. And indeed, when the first episode ended, I really, really wanted to see what was coming next on the second episode, second part. But as as someone who perhaps doesn't know a lot about Doctor Who, was it still fun even without that kind of nostalgia element to it? Well, it did have some nostalgia for me because um, when they flashed back and and you saw all of the old Doctors right right back from the very first Doctor, William Hartnell, who I started my Who who life with when I was a little girl about five years old, it was great to see that. And then flashes of John Pertwee and Tom Baker, great Brilliant yeah, stuff. I really enjoyed it. Who's your doctor, Mum? My doctor. Mm, I suppose really prob... Well, actually, Doctor Who, um, William Hartnell was my original doctor because he was the doctor I was mostly kind of scared of. I used to watch Doctor Who mainly from behind the sofa, looking up every now and again when I dared... It was yeah. It was a bit yeah. I was really quite scared. I was only about five or six. You see. Have you ever gone back and watched any of those episodes again? No, I, I, I that I would probably enjoy actually, because I was so scared that most of the time I was missing them. You know, I just <laughs> pop my little head up above the back of the sofa, say, "Is it safe to watch now?" With my big sister, she was two years older than me and much braver. You had some very particular things to say about Sarah Jane. Yeah, I don't think you were a fan of Sarah Jane, were you? You were a bit snippy about her. Well, the thing about Sarah Jane, what threw me, was that really I didn't think her body kind of fitted with her head. (laughs) Uh, Well, her head kind of seemed normal, but her body, I felt, really belonged to a somewhat younger person. And it kind it it really she didn't kind of add up. I, I couldn't buy into her because I was so distracted with the fact that the two parts didn't see. It was like one of those books just that you that had as a she child. Was leather boots. Well, it wasn't. It was also the shape and You've got the leather kind, boots. I have, I have indeed. But I, I just feel that she hasn't aged gracefully. I, I don't think she's quite comfortable with where she's at. Yeah. Well, I think I, I've got to agree with you to a certain extent about some of the companions and aging gracefully. I think that Joe. What was she, Joe Grant? Yeah, mm-hmm. the one with the big yes. lips. She looks like she's Joe had a, Jones now. Yeah, Joe Jones. Jones. She looks like she's had a lot of work done. She looked a bit like a surprise uh, duck. <laughs> she she but, has well, had a lot of work done, I she? think. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered if she was related to Julia Roberts because her mouth was so big. <laughs> 
but let's let's not let's not uh, plow too much through these two very respected actresses' mm. facial features because mm. that's just bowing to the hegemony of the patriarchy that we are all submersed in the what and artificial standards of beauty that enslave womankind. So let's not go there anymore. I'll tell you something I did think. I think that um, Katie Manning was able to bring back Joe Grant as a recognisable character. And I think the character that we saw on screen was a good kind of extrapolation of the young Joe. And that made me happy. Yeah, I that agree. I, I thought she was very good, actually. I was a bit worried because I didn't really like Joe Grant the first time round. Not that, from the ones I've seen. So I was a bit worried she'd be rubbish. And I had no opinion, having never seen her. Yeah, you have. You saw her in The Green Death. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, she was very ditzy in that, wasn't she? So a lot of interesting things in this story. It was the first time we saw Russell T. Davis write The 11th Doctor. Uh, what do we think about that? Do we think that was good? I really like the story. I, it's something that Russell T. Davis has always done well, is just the straightforward story. Um, I know we've talked before about the way he resolves complications, shall we say, in his storyline with whatever it meets in the, the kind of the Doctor Who universe by just using very easy get outs if you just think about it think about something and it will happen yes and that's been used before and it was used in this episode too but the setup of this story was very nice i liked the idea of an alien race that were just undertakers for the universe hello i've just had some sad news i'm afraid the dog's dead oh dear sir I'm most dreadfully sorry to hear that. I know, it's a bummer. I love that dog. Now to business. I can't help but notice that you're a giant vulture. Indeed, sir. Well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, this is The Undertakers, isn't it? Yes, sir. As you see, my brothers and I are custodians of the dead. But you're also vultures. Your perspicacity in this matter is astounding, sir. We are not of your world and have travelled many light years to offer our services to your people. So you're giant-talking space vultures? Yes. That's crazy! I only mention it because on this planet, vultures circle the bodies of the dying. Then they eat them. I see. So I wonder if this whole undertaking gig is a little bit in bad taste, given the context. I couldn't possibly comment, sir. We may resemble vultures, but we are, in reality, an alien race. Our biology differs significantly from all terrestrial life on this planet. Are you sure? Because you do look exactly like vultures. I mean, exactly. It would be a big coincidence. Life is sometimes a complex puzzle, sir. Our calling is to reflect all that glorious mystery, even as we honour its passing. Yeah, whatever. Are those wings, or do you just have really big shoulders? Stop asking me about vulture things! Whoa! Sorry, dude. (laughs) Think I must have hit a nerve there. Didn't mean to ruffle your feathers. That isn't funny! No need to get in a flap! Soon we will be lords of time and you will tremble at our power. Then we'll see who's making jokes. We will be ultimately powerful and death itself will be destroyed. Wait, sorry. So your eventual aim is to eradicate death completely? Yes. Are you sure? Because if I understood you correctly, your whole planet's economy is predicated on arranging funerals. It's it's literally all you do. Won't destroying death effectively leave your entire species destitute? Oh, shut up. I'm just saying you'll have to find a new trade. Uh, Perhaps you could be butchers or farmers. How about getting into theatre and the arts? Well, it's true that we Shansheath do possess a certain 
flair for the dramatic. There we go. You could be actors and writers, tell epic poetry, paint beautiful pictures, culture vultures. Yeah! Ow! Did you just shoot me with an energy blast? It is our natural defence system. All Shansheath can summon such energies. Well, that's not very vulturey, is it? We're not vultures! Okay, fine. I get it. Didn't have to shoot me. Right, now to business. Um, can I buy a funeral? I seem to be dying. Of course, sir. We'd be happy to help. And I like the fact that they had this very interesting little scheme to get the two old women and kind of extract the memories from them, a bit like a, a science fiction episode of Last of the Summer Wine. And it was <laughs> that's the second time I've mentioned this on the podcast. <laughs> um, I, I like the way that was set up and I like the way it was resolved at the end and I'd like to have seen Sarah Jane and Joe go down a hill in a bar <laughs> <Me too. laughs> do you know what I would have really liked to have seen and I got the feeling that some of this had probably been edited out of the episode Major Smoky Eyes McShiny Hair whatever her name was um, there was a line that she gave which she delivered with real gravitas it sort of said uh, they can take me to the stars because there is nothing left for me on Earth. And I really wanted to know why she would say that and what the heck was going on. But then nothing was really made of that anymore. And I just got the feeling that if you were a unit officer and you'd seen all the craziness that came down out of the sky and all that Earth had to offer, you'd probably be a little less jaded than she was. And I bet you there was some sort of scene or line cut from her dialogue that would have explained that and filled her out mm. as a character more I, I just assumed she'd been kind of hypnotised or brought under the power of the Shanchith and that's why she thought that maybe she'd suffered some massive loss in her own life that made her able to align them with mm. them uh, against death and there were little blue aliens <laughs> blue aliens brilliant Ah. <laughs> <laughs> But what, what did you think about the relationship between uh, Joe and Sarah Jane? Because they started off with the sort of some tensions there, really. Because Sarah was basically Joe's replacement. Replacement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that I thought that was quite quite good the way they ended up actually really supportive of each other. Whereas at the initial um, introduction of the two characters, there was definitely a sort of mm. frissons about. Yeah, them. they had a very interesting kind of almost sisterly relationship, but there was also a very interesting relationship between them them and the Doctor. And you had this very interesting thing where they'd worked with these... I mean, the actresses had worked with the actors who were both older than them. Mm. And and then you have Matt Smith, who's basically a boy, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, you've <laughs> regenerated into a baby. and um, And he had to have that same kind of very authoritative and almost fatherly relationship with mm. women who are probably three times his age. Not three times, actually. <laughs> That's well, <maybe>. really awful. <laughs> At least twice his age. Yeah. But well, if, if he's 22... He's not 22. He's 28. Okay. Mm -hmm. Two and a half. But time. even so, mm. I'm just saying that I think this the Doctor relationship, it, it worked. And there's a, a lovely scene where Joe's sitting down uh, while he's repairing the transfer beam thing. And she's sort of like, why didn't you, why didn't you come back for me? Why didn't mm. you care about me? Yeah, yeah. And it's quite a beautiful scene. And whatever people say about Russell T. Davis, and 
he obviously has a few lazy writing tropes, but he is really good at writing character and he's really good at writing emotion. And I did well up a couple of times. I really loved the episode. Really I, enjoyed I it. Got, there, there was an early bit where you're talking about the kind of the authority of the doctor. There was an earlier bit where he's sw- switching with Clyde and they keep switching back and forth. And there's the bit where they sort of you see them running down a corridor and Clyde's with them and then they come through the corridor and it's the doctor saying, Come along, Smith. You know, that that I thought was brilliant and that's very that's a very good R T D line and it's it, it was one of the highlights of the, that sounds silly, doesn't it? Something so small was one of my highlights, but that line really, really did make it. Mm-hmm. And me. Matt Smith, as soon as he appears on screen, that's just this incredible the story gets this kick up the bottom, doesn't it? He's mm. he just has such presence. As soon as he's there, right, oh hello everyone, right, what's happening? Whoa. And his and his fingers start f- a fluttering and it's all sort of go. It's very exciting. Yeah, it was but the he, high energy, high energy when but he even entered. That, his it. first line was a joke, wasn't it? when he sort of he has that quite a long first line we see the hello everyone. Oh, that was strange. Um, it, I've just swapped places with Clyde. Can't you tell? Which means I'm here and Clyde is in a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. I also really enjoyed some of the cinematography for it. I loved the slightly speeded up going forwards and backwards through the tunnels. And um, I did think it was slightly reminiscent of that really weird scene where Rose and the 10th Doctor are chasing the In, um, dude. Love and Monsters. Love and Monsters, In Love yeah. and Monsters oh. chasing him with a bucket. But <laughs> at the same time, it was so much better and very funny. And um, of course, offered the uh, sort of the channel for some really interesting dialogue about the doctor's race. Why is he always white? Will we see a black doctor? How many regenerations does he have? You know, does why doesn't he have the same eyes if he's the same person? And it was quite interesting that. That was a lovely line, actually, they gave Clyde. I thought you'd have the same eyes, but you don't. You're completely different. Mm. Really yeah. cool. Yeah, I like that. And the other big thing I think we should probably talk about is that companion speech at the end. Oh, yeah. I really like the, the fact that all of these companions have gone on to make such a difference to the world and how inspired they must have been by their travels and journeys with the Doctor. It was it was really uplifting. and He does skate the line between it being a little bit over the top uh, and mm. it... And being and sort of packing that emotional wallop, mm-hmm. and as I say personally, I cried like a baby. But I did wonder what it'd be like if he did really pull out all the stops. Do you think there's lots of Joe Grants out there? You know, like the Doctor's old companions. I do a little research sometimes. What did you do? Google TARDIS. No, I used a self-aware computer virus to pick up on traces of Artron energy in the Google listings. Is that even possible? This is a Russell T. Davies script, Clyde. It doesn't need to make sense. We'll just gloss over wonky plot points by using hyperbolic language. And then something will probably blow up. That sounds glorious! You're all lovely, aren't you? Hooray! Nice explosion. What were you saying, Sarah Jane? Well, I can't be sure, but there's a woman called Tegan in Australia, fighting for Aboriginal rights, even though from the sound of her accent she's never been to Australia before. And there was a Dorothy something. She runs that company, a charitable earth. She's raised billions and used it all to buy baseball bats and explosives. There's another explosion now. What else did you find, Sarah Jane? 
Well, there's a computer technician and a part-time ice dancer called Mel who's found a way to feed all the children in Africa with carrot juice. An American, I think she was an American anyway, called Perry Brown, who won the Nobel Prize for services to bikinis. A surgeon in San Francisco called Grace Holloway, who pioneered the world's first double heart transplant. A public schoolboy called Turlo, who looked a little like he was in his mid-thirties. And a woman called Dodo, who never said or did anything remotely interesting. Oh, that is glorious. Glorious! Were there any more? Yes, there was a survivor of the Battle of Culloden called James McSomething. Records of his life inexplicably survived on the internet. And Zoe and Leela from the future. I don't think this really makes any sense. Chameleon. Well, now you're just saying names. Adric, Victoria, that penguin from the comic strips. She's gone mad. Ian and Barbara lived forever. Romana regenerated into the Doctor's mother. Ha ha. Nissa is a Dalek. I think it's fantastic. I love everyone. Wonderful. How are we going to get out of this one? We're trapped in a script that has descended into the very worst excesses of the RTD era. No worries. I'll simply press this button. I've just found it. It's marked. Everything's fine. I hope it works. I'm pretty sure it will. Phew, it worked. Everything's back to normal. And that's the story of how I defeated the internet. The end. Thank goodness you're back to normal, Sarah Jane. Shh. I'm looking at the sky and thinking about the stars. But... Stars. Yeah, what did people think? I mean, it was obviously a slightly cheaper program. You know, they did another planet by putting some red gel over the lens of the camera. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think that made any difference because, like we say, the dialogue and the interest of all the different characters were so strong. But at the same time, I thought it was a very sensitive tackling of death. And there was a you could tell that there was the real educational element in there that's perhaps been lost from traditional who sort of how do people react to grief? What typifies somebody who's in mourning and somebody who's in denial? which are all things that you imagine that CBBC probably has a remit to do. Um, But I thought they handled it very sensitively. And um, it didn't really matter that, you know, the Shansheaths were obviously coat hangers covered in nylon. Oh, they weren't. They were a man with a long glove on. Okay, a man with a long (laughs) glove wearing a coat hanger covered in nylon. Or alternatively, somebody has poached a few things from the dark crystal but or a Disney film. I kept I kept expecting them to have come out with a Disney song. They they really reminded me of um, uh, Bernie Clifton with his ostrich costume, but he swapped it for a vulture head, yeah. and then someone's put a sheet over his head. It it just it looked. I mean, they they were ridiculous, weren't they? Please, no, they were gorgeous. I mean, they were a, they were a oh, good. You're gorgeous. <laughs> they were a good kind of um, concept, but they looked silly to me. I like the Grosk. <laughs> the Grosk. Bad smelly. Bad smelly boy smell. Boy smells. <laughs> but didn't you know that he was going to turn out all right at the end? The little the little blue Grosk. Yeah, he was helpful. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you see, you, you probably don't know about the Grosk, who's a bad piece of work. You see, he's a nasty piece of work, the Grosk. Mm. Yeah. And he's just the same person, not sprayed blue. Not blue. Mm. Green instead. Mm. But I, I immediately got a... a as soon as that character came into into the story, I thought that's going to be a good one. And Thank he God. was. And he was. Is it because you grew up with Smurfs? <laughs> <laughs> Might have something to do with blue Smurfs. Yes. 
quite so. Hang on, hang on. You grew up with Smurfs. Well, she was Smurf. raised by Smurfs. No, I didn't. I wasn't raised by Smurfs. Were you raised by Gargamel? <laughs> there, there is one thing I didn't like. Just one, though. And that was Santiago. Apart from having a really rubbish name that gave Clyde quite a good joke at the end. Um, it's a little bit chilly, which I thought was quite good. Um, what did he actually do? He served no purpose. He was a really bland, empty character. Just looked a bit good in a, a, a trendy T-shirt and... F- funny hair he was the eye candy he was this sexy probably related to russell why do you need eye candy when you've got two middle-aged actresses and (laughs) for the young girls i'm fairly sure that he's coming back i think maybe if tommy knight is now at university and and not able to do the show there was all this talk about oh we're always traveling and i wish i could settle down i'm fairly sure that we'll see more of him in the next series I hope he gets more interesting then. Uh, well, I was going to say that I think he could get more interesting because obviously he's had the the Joe upbringing, mm. the kind of bohemian, different approach. So he might bring a different flavour to the two characters, the two younger younger characters. That's, that's kind of what I didn't like it. The, like didn't about like that. He had all that magnificent kind of background, all that really good potential, and they did absolutely nothing with it. Not, they not did yet. make him just toss around his hair like a Weller commercial. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I agree yeah. that he didn't do much, but Chris, I don't think we really wanted to spend too much time with him with so many people on the screen. I think No, but then just don't bring him in now. That's what mm, I But was... isn't isn't it just an introduction so yeah. that they can draw out some potential for the future, you know, maybe. Mm. And, bringing... and the link with Joe Grant would make yeah. him an interesting character. Yeah. So they had to bring him in now. And mm. bringing him in now is probably a good idea because like if you've got a brand new hen and you want to introduce it to a hen house full of hens who've been there for a while, what you do is you wait till all the hens are asleep and then in the middle of the night you creep in with a new hen and you put it on the perch and then in the morning all the other hens wake up and they're like, oh, she's there, she, she must have been there all along. Also, and then they you don't... stand outside the hen house and you like make gossip. Oh, this, this hen is brilliant. Oh, if you ever meet that hen, it's going to be... But the she's point a is, really you nice s- hen. You sneak in, you sneak in, you sneak in your new hen while something else is going on. And you put and it in a tight t-shirt. That's right, with glossy, <laughs> glossy, curly hair. And then it's like they've always been there and then everything can just go on as normal. As that's, that's my hen, hen and young boy analogy. Back in the summer, uh, one of us had a birthday. I'm not going to tell you who that is, but if you pay attention to the Facebook page, they sort of broadcasted it. Um, they held a party and the idea of the party was that we would have everybody coming to do something so we all did a performance and uh for my part um i decided to give everyone a flavor of what it's like to read a bedtime story to the littlest doctor after he has been dressed as the doctor all day running around and fighting all of his enemies so this is what i did So, Luke, are you ready? I'm going to read you a new story tonight. No, it's not Harry and the Dinosaurs. I told you, it's a new one. It's called Robbie the Rabbit Goes to the Fair. No, he's just a normal rabbit. Yes, I know that doesn't sound that exciting, but maybe he does something interesting at the fair. Well, I suppose we can change him if you want. A robot rabbit? Why a robot? 
Oh, I see. There's one in your Doctor Who book. Fine. Fine. Right, so it's Robbie the Robot Rabbit goes to the fair. Can I start now? Good. Right, here we go then. Robbie the Robot Rabbit goes to the fair. What? No, I'm not going to make him a killer robot rabbit. Because I don't want to. Now just lie down and listen to the story. Robbie was a little rabbit, a little robot rabbit, sorry, who lived in a burrow under the shade of an oak tree. Huh? What, what is a nut and bolt tree? Right, okay, fine. He lived in the shade of a nut and bolt tree with his mummy ro robot rabbit and daddy robot rabbit. One sunny Saturday. What now? Yeah, but if it's a rainy Saturday, then Robbie will start to rust when he goes to the fair, you know? You do know. Well, then why do you want him to rust? Right. Well, I don't find it very funny. But I suppose it is your bedtime story. One rainy Saturday, Daddy was reading his newspaper while drinking his morning coffee. While drinking his morning can of oil. He looked up and called Robbie in. There's a fun fair on today, Robbie. Would you like to go? Robbie was excited. He'd never been to a fun fair before. He closed his eyes and imagined all the fun you could have at a fun fair. He dreamt of throwing the ball at the coconuts. Hmm? Shrunken heads. Where the hell did you see a shrunken head? Well, yeah, I know there's one on the night bus in Harry Potter, but... That doesn't mean that... Oh, fine. He dreamt of throwing the ball at the shrunken heads. Of going on the ghost train. No problem with that bit. Good. Sliding down the helter-skelter and kicking the people at the bottom. I've told you before, that might be fun, but it's naughty. He imagined going to the candy floss store and buying... No... I know you don't like candy floss, but Robbie does. Okay, well, what does a robot eat at a funfair then? Slugs? They, they don't eat slugs. Metal slugs? Well, they don't exist. Oh, I see they're in your Doctor Who book too. Oh, well, all right, fine. Imagine going to the metal slug stall and buying some metal slugs for his tea. Daddy gave him two shiny coins and told him to stay safe and come straight home. Robbie promised he would and skipped out of the burrow. When he got there, Robbie soon discovered that the skittles were easy for a robot rabbit. I suppose he had telescopic eyes and could fire the balls like missiles, could he? Yeah. He knocked down so many skittles that he was given a prize. It was a goldfish in a bag. No... I know goldfish don't usually live in a bag. Well, this one does. Well, he, he does until Robbie gets him home, anyway. Robbie held the bag up to watch the goldfish swim around, but it would not stay still. What did you just say? Do you even know what obstreperous means? Apparently you do. Well, yes, okay, the fish was obstreperous, I suppose. And what do you think Robbie did with the fish? No, that wasn't a question. That's part of the story. And no, he didn't eat it. I know it's your bedtime story, but there's been quite enough nasty things in this already. 
No, he can't put the bag on the test your strength machine so he can whack it with the big hammer. Because there isn't one at the fair. I know there's a picture of it in the book, but Robbie doesn't go anywhere near it, okay? Now, can we just carry on with the story? Thank you. Next, Robbie bounded over to the test your strength machine. Oh, damn. Yes, yes, I know, I know, you're right. No, I don't think he's going to whack the fish. I tell you what, let's just see what happens, okay? Robbie smiled at the rabbit running the store. What? Well, why does he have to be a slimy snoot? What is one of those, anyway? Uh, fine. Fine, okay, just lie down. He smiled at the slimy snoot running the stall and handed over one of his shiny coins. He put the fish carefully next to the machine and raised the hammer high over his head. It was so heavy that it made him fall backwards, splat into the muddy ground. The snoot went to Robbie's aid, helping him to his feet and handing him back his shiny coin. Well, how would you tell this bit of the story? Okay. Right, all right then, let's try it, shall we? The snoot tried to rescue him and started lifting the hammer up, but he slipped on the mud and the hammer landed on Robbie's foot, trapping him there. The snoot said he'd run and fetch help, but Robbie was already starting to rust. The fish found a nice puddle to swim in until Amber, the village cat, came and ate him. I'm not really sure you've got the idea of a happy ending, have you? Well, there's no point going on now, is there? Why? Because, well, Robbie's rusted away. We've even managed to kill the goldfish. Well, yes, I know the goldfish was alive when the cat started eating him, but he kind of stayed alive the whole time. And unless he was swallowed whole. Yes, like a backwards Jonah. Well, I suppose that's the end. I don't think the rest of the story counts anymore. I hope you enjoyed it, because I'm a little bit scarred. Night, Luke. Sleep tight. So, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. This Andrewless episode. I know. Andrew, by the way, is appearing in an excellent play entitled The Mask of the Red Death. But by the time you hear this, it will have finished. So you won't be able to see him, but I'm sure he's absolutely brilliant. So, without further ado, it's goodbye from me, Laura. Goodbye from me, Nicola. Goodbye from me, Chris. And goodbye from me, Chris. Bye. Bye. Toodle pip. Maggot thrills and 
other spills do you remember all the things he said like reverse the polarity of the neutron flow do you remember back in the spring when the cloister bell would ring do you remember those special times just go on and on in the back of my mind remember the time that we got the key do you remember the Remember the time.